Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with my good friend, Justin Garcia, today. Justin, uh, it's been a while since we spoke. We are going to go through some of the moves that Bucks have made through the year. We spoke about doing an Executive of the Year podcast, but really, uh, I, I just don't have that much interest in talking about the moves the Clippers or the Lakers made, to be totally honest. So we are going to go through all the moves that the Bucks have made. But before we dive right into this, I've got, I've got a question for you. Uh, I follow you on, on Twitter and Instagram, obviously. And if you don't follow Justin on Twitter, you should, at TMJ Garcia. You had a photo the other day that you put up that I've been very, <laughs> I've been very curious about for the last few days. For those that didn't see this, this, there was a man. looked like it was outside your apartment, I'm guessing. A man was like balancing on a tree, perhaps looking to cut down a branch. There was a power line very, very close to the situation. He looked like he was standing on the branch he wanted to cut off. Did this man survive? What happened? Uh, so there were two men. I think one of them was trying to be a spotter on the same tree that looked like it was ready okay. to give. Uh, the tree is still there. I don't know what happened to the men. I was keeping somewhat tabs on them, but as it <laughs> got darker, I just gave up on it and assumed the worst. So who knows? Wow. Yeah, I was, uh, I was very concerned. It almost felt like a fun quarantine activity if it didn't look like someone's life was going to be at stake right there. I'm not sure in the picture. It looks like the trash cans are right below the tree. They may have fell into those. Well, uh, either way, I know people are probably getting, uh, getting bored out there, but don't be cutting trees down next to power lines, okay? Any of our listeners, we don't need you doing that. We don't need any injuries that were not needed or not required right now. But like I said, I don't think Horst, I mean, when you think about the fact that he won executive of the year last year and the, just the – mammoth transformation that Bucks team had, not only with the hire of Mike Budenholzer, but bringing in all the guys with uh, Brooke Lopez and the major changes they made to the roster. This summer was a critical one for the Bucks because we knew the situation they were going into with Giannis and the fact that this was the year that you were hoping to take another step and then sign Giannis to that Supermax. So it was critical that the Bucks did not take a step back. And in many respects... All you were hoping to do was bring back as many of the pieces as you could. But this still required a significant juggling act from John Horst. And uh, I think that he did a pretty incredible job. When you look at the results so far this year and the way that he was able to fill out the rosters with the veteran players, the minimum players. But it started right at the top. Let's talk about Chris Milton a little bit here. Five years, $177.5 million. We spoke about Chris a lot on yesterday's pod in regards to him potentially having his jersey retired later on. Uh, in his career, depending on, on what happens over the next few seasons. Uh, this is a lot of money for him. And I've been a, a big Chris Middleton supporter and been a guy that was always in the camp that I think you need to bring this guy back. I think not only his skill set uh, and what he does on the floor, but his personality, the way that he fits in in the locker room, and the way that he complements Giannis. 
is just so perfect. And yes, it's it's a hell of a lot of money. And perhaps on the raw numbers, you might look at it and say that it's an overpay. But we look at some of the other deals that came out last summer. The one that straight away sticks out to you is the Tobias Harris deal with Philadelphia. This was the market. And if the Bucks didn't play Chris Milton, they were almost certainly going to be significantly worse this season. But not only has he stayed at the level he was at last year where he's a first-time All-Star, he went to another level, 21.1 points, 6.2 rebounds, 4.1 assists, 50-40-90 shooting. I don't think you could have hoped or dreamed that Chris Milton would have had a season this good in the first year of this deal that some people are quite nervous about, the fact that this dollar amount is something you've locked yourself into for a long time. I think uh, a lot of people were nervous about it. I think you and I were on the same page uh, basically throughout that it, it's, it's a necessity that you have to bring them back. I was just going back and looking through um, some of the, the um, national writers and guys that gave out grades for off seasons and moves as they were happening. And I saw a few people write, um, you know, the Middleton deal was kind of a necessity that everybody assumed he was going to remain in Milwaukee and you knew you had to pay him that much. But a couple of guys – going to the, boy, I really wish Milwaukee would have played hardball with him so they wouldn't have to uh, sign him to that five years, $178 million. Um, it, You brought up the name Tobias Harris. If you do that, if you're Philadelphia, don't you push, if you know Chris Middleton's available, wouldn't you rather have Chris Middleton than Tobias Harris? Yeah, no question. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And this was always the thing for me. It's like, okay, you can potentially put yourself in a position to piss this guy off but if you do, you're just going to go somewhere else. And, and as, as good as the situation is in Milwaukee, we know the contract that Middleton had previously turned out to be incredible value. Of course, you lost Nelly a full season in there with the significant hamstring injury that he had. But this guy was just simply too important for, to, to be playing those types of games with him. And I think that the front office knew at the time that this isn't just about Chris Melton, this is about Giannis. And if we are seen to be making any kind of sneaky moves or, or trying to save a few dollars here or there, uh, it's not going to look good for the franchise. And the question I always had is, when people talk about that and saving money, like are you talking about a year or are you talking about saving 5 or $10 million in, in one year? Because what does it matter at that point once you get to that dollar amount? The only thing I'll say... This contract now, we don't know what's going to happen moving into the future. I've certainly seen some concerns that this is a contract that if the salary cap decreases significantly, this is going to be something to have some concerns about. The thing I always said, and Frank, obviously everyone knows, is, the, is certainly more of a cap expert than I am. But uh, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard him say before, next year there is going to be a drop. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. That's going to be unavoidable. The year after and the years going forward are going to be the ones to watch. We'll see how much of a lasting impact this has. But again, uh, the Bucks aren't going to be the only one in that case. I mean, there's going to be a bunch of contracts right through the league, and this is going to affect all, all the franchises through the league virtually. So I just don't have that much concern about that. You've got a guy that's 28 years, uh, 28 years old right now. He's in his prime. He's playing the best basketball of his life. And not only is this due to the work that he's put in, but this is a, a big part uh, of the success he's getting is from playing next to the guy that is the best basketball player in the world, who, by the way, is only 25 and only going to get better. Uh, I don't see Chris Milton having a significant drop-off anytime soon. Well, and it's a couple of things that you, you touched on is, you know, this move was a necessity for several reasons. Number one uh, is just because of how important it is when you're a team 
at the level of the Bucks are and with a guy like Giannis, how asset management becomes all the more important. And, you know, you need to retain as many assets as you can, if for no other reason than to turn them into future assets. Uh, with Middleton, you know, we all know it was a use it or lose it, basically, that it wasn't like the Bucks could say, we're going to let him walk. We're going to sign Jimmy Butler instead. They could sign him uh, because he was already on their team. And, you know, as you pointed to with Giannis, you don't want to look frugal. You don't want to look like you're giving up on a guy. And you don't want to give up a guy uh, that Giannis has that chemistry with and is certainly very fond of. So, you know, their hands were all but tied here. And not that it's a bad thing. That, you know, certainly there, there may be some questions about the cap moving down the road. But, you know, if you compare that to uh, the name we mentioned, Tobias Harris, who got more money than Chris Middleton, I mean, the production has been there. So I understand there was a lot of concern to give him that much money. And there was certainly one side of the camp that was you know, against it. Um, but you can't deny that Chris Middleton got paid in the summer and he had the best season of his career the following months. Yeah, I mentioned that 21.6 rebounds, four assists. Uh, let's not forget, he's playing 30.1 minutes per game. I mean, this guy's minutes have been kept very low and he's still putting up career-best numbers right across the board. An incredible start to the season so far for Chris that we hopefully uh, get to see him finish off the job. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. There's never been a better time to sit down and read and learn more. And there's an incredible app called Blinkist that will help with just that. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, tablet, and web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways that need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always want to read but never had time to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com NBA to start your free seven-day trial. You also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash MBA. But the next guy I want to move on to, and this one is a little more interesting for me, Brooke Lopez. Uh, this deal came in really quickly uh, after the, the free agency frenzy really tipped off. A four-year, $52 million deal for Brooke Lopez. And the big thing for me that raises the eyebrows straight away is the fact that he's already 31. So, I mean, you're talking about paying a 34, 35-year-old Brooke Lopez $13.9 million in 2022. Uh, we've seen the Amita results this year, and I, I don't think that this surprised anyone that Lopez became or continued to be the defensive anchor that we saw him be last year when the Bucks had the number one defense in the league. That defense has gone to another level this season. The stat that stands out for me, there's eight players uh, league-wide that have defended at least 7.5 shots per game at the rim this year. Brook Lopez leads that uh, defensive field goal percentage against 44.1%. The next closest is Rudy Gobert, two-time defensive player of the year, mind you, 48.4%. Uh, 4% difference in the defensive field goal percentage at shots defended at the rim. Brook Lopez has been an absolute brick wall. His defense has been incredible. The only thing that I would say, 
this is a lot of money for Lopez. I mean, let's that's, that's, that's be real. Now, of course, the Bucks got him on an absolute bargain basement deal a year before. So there's a little bit of reward for that. He, pay, he gave the Bucks faith in coming to play in Milwaukee. He wanted to stay here and continue the job. So there's no doubt that there was some maneuvering going on there from the front office. But there has to be some concern with his offense. We saw the Bucks go to him a lot more this year in the post. But the three-point shooting is a concern. As much as I give that good stat for him defensively, a bad stat for him offensively is amongst guys in the NBA that have played at least 40 games and attempted four three-point shots per game. Brooke Lopez' three-point percentage of 29.1% ranks 109 out of 110 in the league. He hasn't been able to hit a three all season. That's a little bit concerning if, as the years go on, you start to see a bit of a decline defensively. Now, this is a contract that's going to loom pretty large in the cap sheet. Yeah, I mean, overall, it's been good. But as you pointed to, the offense certainly took a big step backward. And we were all waiting for the progression to the mean just because career-wise, he's, I think, Uh a 35 or 36% three-point shooter. And this is the outlier year where it hasn't been there. Uh, The defense has been, you know, much better than it was last year. And he was very good defensively last year. I think if there is a concern, and you brought it up, it's that he turned 32 during the first year of this deal. You're going to be paying him through 35. It's a fully guaranteed deal. And as you mentioned with Chris Middleton, and you look at that contract and the yearly figures, and you know we know the cap is going to go down significantly next year. Uh, if we see any type of trend like that where it continues to dip, Painbrook Lopez, $13 million when he's approaching his mid-30s, when we've seen maybe an offensive regression, maybe it's just an outlier year, um, but especially locking up that much money in a position where, look, we've already outlined the value he brings, but by and large, the league is foregoing the center, and that's the position in the cap-wise where you're just going with mid-level exceptions or veteran minimums, and you're not paying money for centers, and the Bucks have tied up a lot of guaranteed money into that now. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you make when you look to project the direction that the league is heading moving forward. In regards to that center position, the Bucs have really gone all in on, we're playing a center, we're playing big bodies, we're playing rim protectors. We're going to get to Robin Lopez a little bit later, but they have both the Lopez brothers and then Giannis, three of the top rim protectors in the entire league. And they're basing their whole defense, which in the regular season has been utterly dominant in terms of, yeah, you guys can shoot from the outside, but we're protecting the paint. They did fall short in the playoffs last year. We don't know what's going to happen this year, and we don't know what's going to happen moving forward. But if that turns out to be a defense that in the next two, three years doesn't get you over the hump, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the league and the direction they head. One other last note on Brook Lopez. Last year, 6.3 three-point attempts per game. This year, down to 4.7. As you mentioned, this is a guy that over the last four seasons has shot 35%, 35%. 37% last year and now down to 29. So there's no doubt that this is an outlier year for him. The question will be whether this is the start of a decline, shooting the ball, or whether he can come back up. So something to watch with Brook Lopez. I think overall, they really needed this guy back this year. And like I said, they got him on the bargain last year. I understand fully why uh, they signed him to this contract. But you certainly be hoping that you can see some sort of uh, reversion to the mean there for him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, and, and, and there's no doubt those two were the most important, I think, by a wide margin in their yeah, offseason. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing with, with Brooke, too, is I think a lot of people remember he had some pretty significant injuries in Brooklyn. But if you look at his career, 
outside of that broken foot, and I think he actually had it twice, outside of those two injuries, he's basically been an Ironman. And we saw last year he played in the first 81 games of the season uh, too. So, you know, barring those serious injuries, he's been as durable as they come in the post. No, he hasn't, and that's a big part of, of having success, certainly during the regular season and why the Bucks have been able to keep the minutes down and at times rest their stars, including Giannis. So uh, I, I still count the deal as a significant win for the Bucks. the fact they were able to bring him back. Uh, there's certainly a little bit of, of hesitation there and things to watch moving forward, but outside of those two that I think were the locks to come back, this is where it got really interesting for mine. George Hill, we know uh, they got him in that deal uh, with the Dallavadova John Henson trade a year earlier, he was on this big $18 million deal where only 1.7, I think it was around that, was guaranteed for this season. So the Bucks were always going to waive George Hill and then try and sign him back. But this was a significant development for mine in what was going to happen with Malcolm Brogdon. We know the Bucks already signed Eric Bledsoe the year before. So they signed George Hill to a three-year $28 million deal. And this was that deal also includes the the one point eight or whatever it was that he was he was owed from this season, but this gave them that backup guard that they needed, a guy that was significantly reliable during the postseason last year, had an incredible run through the playoffs, playing that backup role, and at times being the guy on the floor to end games, a veteran again, so a guy that's uh, a little bit older, but showing certainly through this season, no signs of slowing down. We know how well he was shooting the ball. And this, I think, translated into the next move, so we can sort of tie these into t- together, was the Bucks to sign and trade with the Indiana Pacers from Malcolm Brogdon. The Bucks get a first-round pick back at the moment. That's sitting at 19. Also a second-round pick there. But they move off a starter. They, they are able to keep the important guard in the rotation, George Hill. Uh, how do you sort of view these two deals? We've spoken about Brogdon a lot, so I don't think we need to dive too deeply into that but the the signing of hill has proven to be significant also these two moves are forever going to be linked but i don't know that they're um as married as we think they were and in the in, 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 in i guess what i'm trying to say is i think it was a foregone conclusion the bucks had an inkling that malcolm brogdon was going to get the type of offer that he did and it, George Hill was a priority of theirs all along. So I think um, George Hill was always in the cards for them, whereas Malcolm Brogdon was kind of a, well, if the market dries up and if we can get him back for a number we're comfortable with, then we'll do it. But I think George Hill was valued above Malcolm Brogdon from the start in their their, um, free agency. Yeah, it, it's it's certainly possible. I mean, I think that there was definitely a dollar amount the Bucks weren't comfortable with Malcolm Brogdon. And I think to this point, I mean, again, not to dive too deeply into it, but Brogdon so far, 48 games out of 65. So he was on pace for 60 games. Uh, we know the injury history is there. And as the season uh, came to a, to a crushing halt, Brogdon was actually week to week with a hip injury. So he was looking at another significant stint on the sideline. So uh, this is a guy that has proven to be unreliable. And it, it's hard not to think about that and say, okay, if the Bucks had $80 million locked up in this guy right now, they're already deep into the luxury tax, a place that we know they're going to enter into moving forward. Uh, it's a scary, scary deal. And, and I think as time goes on, you still just uh, look at that and, and say, well, I 
do understand why there was extreme hesitation to do that. They're able to get a draft pick back. Uh, I already mentioned we've got Chad Ford on the podcast tomorrow. He's going to go into some of the options that the Bucks are going to have at pick 19, which is a significant pick for Milwaukee. Remember, they didn't have a pick at all in last year's draft. I mentioned that the stat before with Brooke Lopez with the 40 games played, four three-point attempts per game, and the percentages, Brooke Lopez was 109 out of 110 players qualified. Malcolm Brogdon is 106th, shooting 31.1% from three. We always talked about the shots he was able to get in the Milwaukee offense, how that contributed to the efficiency. Yeah, he's seen a massive dive down there with an expanded role. I don't think that that is anything that should shock anyone, and it's not necessarily a lock on him, a knock on him. He's been able to uh, you know, play, play at times significant uh, basketball and, and all-star caliber basketball to start the season, but uh, he's a guy that you can't rely on. He's already 28. He's only a year younger than Chris Milton, or he's soon to be 28. So he's only a year yeah. younger than Chris Milton. It's it's unbelievable to think about it like that. Uh, I think that the Bucks now, maybe more so now than ever, when we look at what's going to happen to the cap moving forward, that might have been uh, an incredibly prudent move to to acquire those draft picks for Malcolm Brogdon. Well, and you know we have to mention it too if we brought it up for Brooke Lopez that George Hill's 33 years old now, yeah. and there's two years left in the deal, but I think the, the, the trend that you saw here from John Horst ever since the Eric Bledsoe signing, and it's uh, the case of George Hill in this deal as well, you, you pointed to the uh, partial guarantee that was less than $2 million. It's the, the contract set up the same way where the 21-22 yeah. season, it's around that same figure, and uh, it's the same thing for Eric Bledsoe a year later in the final year of his deal. We know it's the same thing for Urson this summer as well where – uh, you know, we can point to the age, but the Bucks did give themselves the out there with a couple of those guys. No question. And as we've gone through all the main deals in the roster, this sort of leaves us with the guys that the Bucks had to fill out the roster. And this is this is important. We know last year that uh, the guys like Pat Connon and coming off the bench played a significant role. He was still on this $1.7 million deal. He is a free agent this year. I'm interested to see what happens there. He's been a bargain deal. I mean, uh, when you think about that that salary and at times, including in the playoffs, the role he's had to play, uh, you see the importance of guys 7 through sort of 15 on the roster and how they can impact a contender. But the Bucks were able to sign Robin Lopez to a two-year $9.7 million deal. He does have a player option next year. Wesley Matthews, $2.526 million. He's also got a player option for next year, so we'll see what happens there. Those two in particular for mine, and you could probably throw in Kyle Corver here, the one-year $2.6 million. Uh, all three guys have played significant roles. Wesley Matthews, obviously, as a starter throughout the season. Robin Lopez as that five that they didn't have last year, the big body. We saw him perhaps more so than, than ever before coming and impact the game against Joel Embiid. Uh, I, I think that you can't really have a knock on any of these signings. Kyle Corver, we know the effect has gone beyond game day when you talk about the stuff he's been able to do with Eric Bledsoe shooting free throws. He spoke about that. Giannis, obviously, with his shooting from the outside. I think probably more than anything, the thing that I'm interested in with these guys, I give all these signings a, a big tick, by the way. But the player option for next year, I've, I've seen some question marks about what's going to happen. Uh, if you talk about potential positives of the salary cap going down, it's that these guys even though they've played a significant role on a really, really good Bucks team, there's not going to be dollars out there for those guys next season. I can see, I can see both Wes and Robin coming back to Milwaukee next year. And Kyle Corver, I mean, if he wants to play again, 
I didn't see him going anywhere else either. So uh, I, I know it's not a, a good time to be thinking about positives in terms of salary caps, and there's a lot of concerns out there. That might be one of them. Well, and, you know, for Pat Connaughton as well, that right. what, what does the market hold for a guy like that? And, and um, you know, we certainly don't know what it holds for guys like Sterling Brown, who you're going to have to make a decision on. But all of these guys, now the negative is the Bucks are going to be facing the same thing that we just pointed out. So you're, you're essentially hoping that these guys like it here and, and yeah. that who knows if the season continues and maybe this is a championship team, but that the culture here has done the job where these guys are willing to say, there's not money out there anyway, so I'm willing to take a cut to stay here. Yeah, if there's one thing I'm not concerned about, the Bucks, and you know this as, as well, Justin, it's the culture and the fact that these guys get along. It's incredible to see the way that they do. The one other guy that I wanted to mention, and this came through the season, was a signing of Marvin Williams, a buyout deal. They were able to pick him up for the playoff run that we hope is still a thing. They waived Dragon Bender at the time, who... Yeah, showed some promise, played some good basketball down with the Wisconsin herd, but was just a numbers game in the end. And uh, Marvin Williams comes in, showed some positive signs, particularly defensively. The the game I mentioned a couple of times in the podcast was the, the Raptors game when he was able to defend Siakam on a number of possessions. But Marvin Williams, again, put him in the same basket. This is a veteran guy that wants to win. Uh, we know he has a family. He spoke recently about the difficulties of being in Charlotte for so long and now having to move to Milwaukee, getting settled there, getting a place to stay. And now all this has happened. He's a guy that's probably going to want to stay settled. So I, I can see certainly Marvin Williams being a guy that wants to stay around. But this was a needle-moving deal. Remember, this came just after the trade deadline. Nothing happened with the Bucks, and there was some concern there. Uh, within 48 hours, they were able to confirm the signing of Marvin Williams, who was in demand. I mean, we saw Kemba Walker, the way he responded with the Celtics. So this was a guy that a number of contenders wanted. And I think just another tick in the box that players are looking at Milwaukee now as, oh, I get the chance to play next to Giannis. I get the chance to play in this offense where I'm going to be encouraged to shoot the ball from the outside and let it fly. This seems like fun for me. Well, it was literally the day after the trade deadline, yeah. wasn't it? And with, you know, with Marvin Williams, I think the hope is – uh, we just talked about there's not going to be a whole lot of money out there. So, you know, maybe these guys will, will stick around for uh, values that you didn't think would they'd be attainable for. With Marvin Williams, um, you would assume the veteran's minimum is what he's looking at now, and that's uh, what you're paying Kyle Korver, so about $2.5 million. So last one before we really look to wrap this up, Thanasis. Now, <laughs> this was a deal that, you know, I was always in favor of because – uh, there was a lot of criticism that, ah, this is ridiculous. This is, this is what, what are we doing this for? This makes us look amateur. Uh, this is simply a nepotism at its absolute finest. But uh, they get the Nassus for two years, $3.15 million. Both years guaranteed. That's uh, not a surprise to anyone. Uh, Giannis' contract is up at the end of that two years. So uh, I, th- I think that that was uh, certainly not a coincidence. And the one thing I'll say about Thanasis, and you can argue all day whether you think he's actually an NBA caliber player and a guy that's uh, going to be able to play rotation minutes. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. He's a little bit older. Certainly, we've seen him in bursts come in in garbage time, and uh, simply he just plays harder than anyone, and, <laughs> and that shows out. The one thing I will say, outside of the obvious benefit of having Thanasis and the fact that he can live with Giannis and they can see each other every single day, uh, we know how much family means to Giannis. I think purely from that point of view, it was fine. This guy's 15th on the roster. Who cares? Sign Thanasis, give him a chance to be in the practice facility and improve his game and see what you've got. But you're not going to do worse with a 15th guy. The other thing I will and really want to stress, and you know this again from seeing this guy at practice, seeing this guy before the games, 
You talk about locker room culture and guys working hard and genuinely trying to improve and encourage their teammates. I don't know if there's a better guy than Thanasis. This guy works his absolute ass off at practice. He's the last guy out there. He's working on his shot. He's trying to improve. And then in the locker room, you see him encouraging Giannis all the time, speaking to him all the time. Uh, I, I think purely from a locker room perspective, you could do no worse than this guy. And you think about all the other benefits he's been able to bring. Uh, I just can't look at the signing and, and criticize it. Uh, yeah, and I'm with you that the biggest thing, and, and we just saw the piece that was done on, on Giannis in Sports Illustrated, and it, it's basically in there. And the biggest takeaway is you have more of Giannis's family here and Giannis and his entire family talking about our family is here in Milwaukee is home. And you think that certainly helps your cases of retaining here, him here for the long term. But, you know, from the moment he was signed, you knew it was going to sign, raise some eyebrows. But I'm with you that to look at it initially, you're saying we're making this big of a fuss over the 15th guy on the roster. And, you know, the Bucks are one of maybe probably the only team in the NBA where we're talking about a roster that goes 14 or 15 deep where you can actually put guys in that are serviceable players. So uh, in an ordinary situation, Giannis or Thanasis isn't even sniffing the floor. But even in this situation, uh, you know what you have in the guys on the roster already. And you've already carved out these rotations that it's just something to see if you can develop. And you can put him in there in the break in case of emergency situations where Thanasis is the lengthy guy that you can just get out there and say, run the floor and play defense. And we saw that a couple of times this year. So John Horst, the reigning executive of the year, I don't think there's any chance that he wins that award again. It's not typically an award that you're going to win two years in a row. And also, uh, as we sort of mentioned, a lot of the moves are going to be underrated and still, uh, I think, need to be played out over the future years. There's a lot of money tied up there with guys like Milton and Lopez and George Hill. We're going to see how history looks back on those contracts and the moves that were made. I think right now from what we've seen, and obviously we, we wish we were in the second round right now and, and not even discussing this for another month or so, but to, for the Bucks to get where they were, to, to take another step to improve even more. And really all those guys that they signed at least maintain that level of play and still be significant contributors to the group. I, I think you have to look at it as another tick for John Horse. There's going to be question marks, as I said. We'll see how this all plays out. But for mine... This could have gone a lot worse than it did. Let's just say that. They could have made some moves where things went uh, pear-shaped. And uh, I think, again, uh, I have to, for, at this point, as it stands right now, give uh, Horst in the front office another tick. I would, uh, I would really like for nothing more than at some point this week, we were in Pfizer Forum for a second-round matchup and we were using our food vouchers to go to Gold Rush Chicken. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I talked about this, and I don't remember if it was with you or not, but in it had to have been around January, where, as you mentioned, you had the coach of the year, the MVP, and the executive of the year all on the same team last year. And in looking how the first few months of the season shook out for the Bucks, you could make a very strong case for all three of those guys to win the same award again this year. Now, uh, there obviously becomes a fatigue, and you, you seldom see those awards repeated but I remember you know kicking around all three of these guys can make a very strong claim especially when the Bucks were trending towards 70 wins to win the same awards of the three who had the the worst chance to repeat and I would have said Bud that basically they needed to win 70 games for Bud to be the executive of the year again that you had guys like Taylor Jenkins and uh, uh, Nick Nurse even that the jobs that they were doing 
that's who the media tends to go towards. But, you know, even the case of John Horst, slim chance that he would have won again. But all the other moves that we're talking about, Anthony Davis to the Lakers and Kawhi going to the Clippers, I mean, those aren't really the executives that are making those moves. So for John Horst to be as shrewd as he was, to, to get creative as he did, to you know, we didn't even talk about moving Tony Snell for John Lure and yeah. then stretching him as part of how they could retain some of these guys. I mean, he did an even better job this year than he did last. No question. It's it's kind of almost weird at times to think about the Bucks front office and and mostly feel positive about it. I mean, this this has not been something that that those who've followed the Bucks over the last probably twenty years have gotten used to over a period of time, and it does feel a little bit strange. And if you think if you think we've been too positive, but there's anything that you are uh, overly concerned about or disagree with what we've said, hit us up at Lockdown Bucks. But uh, I, I can't help but right now, but but be pleased with the way that things have worked out. We'll see what happens over the next few years. Uh, as I mentioned. Chad Ford, the original Draft Insider, on the podcast tomorrow. We're going to look through some of the options the Bucks might have at pick 19. As the draft right now, June 25, it's still down. Are the Bucks going to have a first-round draft pick before they play another game? We don't really know. Are they going to start the playoffs after they draft a guy at pick 19? Who knows what the hell is going to happen? But we're going to talk to Chad about a bunch of uh, those things tomorrow. But Justin, really appreciate you taking the time to jump on. It's always good to catch up, and uh, it's been too long. Anytime. Always good to talk to you. So like I said, we will be back tomorrow for Justin, for myself, Ken Pittman. We'll speak to you guys then.